The first topic is about vaping and we shall discuss whether it is the really the risk-free option that uh, it is presented as. So that's the first topic uh, from 7.30 a.m. onwards. And the second topic, which we'll start at 8.15 a.m., is about um, phones and old phones. So what happens to an old phone, to your old phone, when actually it is recycled? So we shall talk about uh, the recycling industry a little bit. We've got a packed show, so please do join us uh, for the entire uh, duration of the show until 9 a.m. As is the norm, we start off the show with the headlines appearing in the newspapers in the morning. So several of Monday's papers uh, focus on the news that the army is on standby after a number of armed Met Police officers turn in their weapons in response to a colleague being charged with murder. The Times reports that while soldiers will be able to provide routine counterterrorism and contingency support in London, they will not be stepping in to perform tasks such as policing crime gangs. The Telegraph quotes a source saying that there is so much anger among police officers around the decision to charge the unarmed officer with murder. He was charged after unarmed Chris Gabba died following a police operation in South London last year, according to the source. Officials feel like carrying a gun is just not worth it. The Guardian says that the scale and speed of the protest of Met officers led the Home Secretary to order an emergency review of armed policing as fears grew that the rebellion could spread further within the Met and around the country. The Daily Express carries a photo of a soldier assisting police on previous occasions and the headline Rebellion by Gun Cops Forces Soldiers to Step In. In other news, the Financial Times reports that Russia has managed to circumvent G7 sanctions by building up a fleet of oil tankers we are able to operate without Western insurance. It says this will result in an increase in revenue for the Kremlin's war chest. According to the Daily Mail, Rishi Sunak will unveil a plan on crime in the coming weeks, including measures such as barring convicted rapists from securing early release. The Metro says that almost 400,000 patients that go to a in England end up waiting 24 hours or longer to be seen. The paper highlights figures for 2022-2023 from the Royal College of Emergency Medicine and a doctor's comments that longer a&E weights are harmful and increase mortality. The I reports warnings by more than 100 economists that Prime Minister's U-turn on climate policy will increase the cost of living while pressing on with plans to reach net zero with, would create jobs and attract investment. So those are the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. We shall now take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about what else are the papers talking about this morning. And from 7.30 onwards, we shall um, start talking about our first uh, topic, which is about waving and is it really risk-free? Do stay tuned. Allah. 
أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله listening to the voice of islam radio Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. The reminder, a reminder of the two topics that we shall be talking about. So from 7.30 a.m. onwards, we shall talk about vaping and is it really a risk-free option? And from 8.15 a.m. onwards, we'll talk about what happens to your old phone when it is actually recycled. We are currently talking about... Um, Uh, what's happening in the world around us, what uh, the newspapers are talking about, uh, but also maybe spend a few minutes on uh, what's been happening in within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community over the last um, uh, couple of weeks, um, actually uh, the last week as well. So Imam Zafri, uh, uh, we've had the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association's national conference um, only this weekend. It concluded yesterday. Um and um, his holiness uh, also addressed um, the gathering your thoughts on uh, on the gathering itself um, um and and your experience of attending similar gatherings i believe the am the muslim youth associations gathering is also annual conference is also expected uh, is also supposed to happen this uh, this weekend correct absolutely uh yes so uh, the women's association had their conference as you mentioned and uh his holiness he was there for the concluding session and he delivered a address to the women so the thing is that uh, in the uh, in the Muslim community there's different auxiliary organizations and women uh, have an organization uh, in which um, women partake in different activities which cons- which which revolve around the upbringing of the not the community but the members of communities mm. so of course in islam women have a, a very important role uh when it comes to the upbringing of children uh, taking care of household but not also that but education is also very important mm. um therefore you know within the community the amdimsa community there are many conferences many events that take place specifically for the women organized by the women mm. themselves and this of course is probably the epitome of uh right. of those events because it's it's a national event where where all of the members are invited uh and uh, you know it might be surprising to the listeners and audience but um every aspect of that conference apart from putting up the marquees and tents everything else is run by the women it's themselves there's no yeah. there's no input uh, by you know someone external uh, you know whether it's men or whether it's mm. others uh, it's specifically run by the women 
and they take pride in that. Mm. Um, you know, there's um, academic sessions where they partake in competitions such as mm. the recitation of the Holy Quran, whether that's mm. recitation of poems, whether it's delivering speeches. Then there are, you know, speeches given by um, other members, experienced members within mm. within the community. There's, uh, there's sports as well, of course. Yeah. And there's sports, and then. Uh, there's other events there's um, mm. you know there's a whole bazaar there as well so a little mm. a place where they sell different things whether it's you know jar or whether it's uh, lassi or whatever whatever there is uh, you know they, they sell that and there's you know there's other competitions as well cooking competitions you know for this uh, upcoming uh, khudam uh, or the youth, youth association yeah. their uh, conference what they're doing is they're holding a barbecue competition so right. on a Saturday evening there wow. will be barbecue held by different regions and you know that'll be judged and that will be then you know the, the best um, uh, barbecue will be awarded as the best barbecue region or area or you know constituency so these these things are there to basically wow. uh, I, I, I definitely want to attend the youth uh, association, even though I'm not a member of the youth, <laughs> unfortunately anymore. But uh, yeah, so 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 different reasons will be will be cooking barbecues, and Absolutely. then somebody will come and judge, and uh, yeah, they will be. I, I I suppose they'll be raising money for, with the with whatever. Um, uh, absolutely, is it and I think it's, it's yeah. so it's going to be a replacement for dinner. So each 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 specific area will be you know cooking up the barbecue, but they'll also be serving. The members from that specific from that region as well. Wow. I, okay. Excellent. And then that will also come out into. I, a I'd like to be the judge of that. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Excellent. So yeah, just to add a couple of points uh, to the uh, women's association conference. So uh, close to seven thousand women actually participated um, in that uh, three-day event, um, actually, uh, which concluded yesterday. And um, the women's association in the UK has been going on for 100 years. So they also celebrated the 100 years uh, anniversary. And as a part of this 100 years anniversary, they had been planning for some time. And they have actually, again, you know, to uh, 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 to the point that you were making, women uh, uh, themselves have planted, Ahmadiyya Muslim women have planted 100,000 trees across the UK. Um, and uh, they do tremendous amount of other charity work as well. Um, they support uh, blind charities. They support uh, f- uh, uh, food banks. Uh, they support uh, you know all, all sorts of other charity work that they do. So I, I it's a it's a very vibrant organization. It's uh it's something that uh, uh, women so women are in in within the community are very proud of, and it's very very active. Um, uh, has very very active membership as well. So, uh, yeah. So coming on to the uh, to the youth association um, uh, conference. So the, it's it uh, this weekend, and um, there's going to be a barbecue competition. Any any other highlights that uh, that you're aware of? So so I I there, there was um, um, my daughter was telling me in the in the women's conference. I think they had a planetarium set up um, uh, as well, where you know they were um, a small planetarium of sorts, anyways. Where they were uh, talking, where they were educating about um, um, space and um, um, and, and uh, different planets. Right. Yeah. No. There's different events that take place. Uh, so uh, within the youth association, there are two parts. So you have parts for those who are older than 15 year old, uh, year olds, and though that is known as Khudam Lahmdiya. Uh, and then there's another section or another 
portion of within within the organization called Atfal Al-Hamdiyya which is for mm. basically uh, boys from the age of 7 to 15 right so their event will be running side to side under the supervision of of course uh, the youth association okay um, so they have different events they have a whole marquee sports marquee where they have badminton indoors cricket indoors football uh, games table tennis uh, then of course there's the you, you know um the talks that happen in the evening, so they've set up a really nice area, a fireplace, and they sit there, and then there's inspirational talks by uh, experienced members of the community, also experienced members within the organisation, the auxiliary organisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that takes place. Um, I remember last year, uh, His Holiness's son, members of Aqasim and Sahib, he actually had come and spoken about uh, details regarding His Holiness, um, how, you know, His Holiness... Uh, would um, you know uh, do certain things uh, in his day to day life you know shedding light on those things which are of course very inspirational for the community so in the same way there are you know such talks and then there's also talks regarding different aspects of society different issues that we face within the world Um, and there's workshops as well that you know are running um, throughout sports running at the same time you know so there's a lot of things that are happening uh, simultaneously sports you know one of the highlights of the youth associations um, uh, con- conference uh, is that uh, you know a lot of regions take part in sports competitions as well and you know they're thrilling absolutely thrilling so different regions different constituencies come together they play against each other for the best region of best you know constituency uh, within the UK so that's something that a lot of people look forward to uh, and then of course the most important and I think the biggest highlight of hmm. the um, event is uh, His Holiness gracing sure. the event and then delivering his address which of course is anticipated by every single person there yeah. um, and you know His Holiness always um, graciously comes to these events and then sheds light on different aspects of our religious life, our spiritual life, how we can uh, further uh, increase our spirituality, how we can become better uh, Muslims altogether, how we can please God and please uh, His creation. Uh, you know, two roles that are very important in a Muslim's life. So those things are very, very important. Uh, and then, of course, the whole you know, those during those days, His, His Holiness usually comes for the prayers. And leads those prayers, so that's very special as well. That you're able to, um, you know, pray behind His Holiness. So these things, of course, everyone is, uh, you know, desperately to. waiting for for, sure. for that event. Uh, there's a lot of members within the community that I've spoken to who are, uh, you know, they're waiting for Friday so that they can make way to Kingsley where mm. the event will be taking place. And then, of course, it's just a, a monumental thing. It's like a mini. Uh, conference Jalsa Salana that we yeah, have yeah, yeah, it's a whole yeah. tent city that is uh, right. erupted uh, there's on-site accommodation for those members who are coming from far such as Scotland uh, because you know, we have community which is widespread within within the UK so people mm. come from up north Huddersfield uh, you know Midlands who come from Midlands they, they tend to stay on site there right. so there is preparations made for their stay so it's quite vast uh, you know exercise that's taking place in, in those three days absolutely yeah 100% and um, uh, you know just to uh, 
we spent a couple of minutes on His Holiness address uh, yesterday. So yesterday he focused on um, uh, the important role that women played again in early Islam, how they were um, at the forefront of um, of various initiatives, not just in terms of educating other members of the community. So uh, the wife uh, of uh, one of the wives of the Holy Prophet, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Azad Aisha, she, um, she, the, the key and important role that she played in educating even the male members of, um, uh, of, um, uh, of among Muslims at that time after the death, the death of the Holy Prophet of Islam. And uh, and then the uh, the monumental role that women played uh, in even in battles uh, as well uh, at that time. So women were at the forefront, and uh, they were at the forefront in terms of uh, uh, not only uh, great sacrifices that they made, but also at the forefront in terms of educating people and and and, and uh, uh, supporting the community in in various ways. So. Um, yeah, and 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 you said as as you said, this is something that uh, all members of the community, all of the world, uh, look forward to. Uh, you know, His Holiness uh, giving his uh, uh, very 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 specifically focused um, address. So the uh, address of the Youth Association will be focused on um, uh, on on the youth within the community. So um, this is. Uh, a very very look forward to event and, and, and the interesting thing is that the, this specific event is held throughout the world wherever the yeah. community is established so it's not something that just happens in the UK yeah. it's something that's taking place in Germany in every in Holland, national every chapter national, will, absolutely. will actually uh, hold such an event that's uh, very very true as well and uh, you mentioned that uh, there will be uh, a lot of experts coming in subject matter experts who will be giving speeches and talks and uh, <clears throat> I, I am an expert uh, in, uh, in testing Barbie so if you if yeah. you need any help there, do let me know. I'd, 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 I'd if you like find to. a way, do let me know as well. I'll follow your <laughs> follow your footsteps. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Um, and on that note, we shall take a very quick break. But when we come back, we will delve right into the first topic, which is about vaping. Is it really the risk-free option that it is being uh, uh, thought about or presented as? Stay tuned. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. If you've just joined us here at Voice of Islam uh, UK, we are currently uh, at 7:31 a.m. in the morning, and we are about to delve into our very first segment, which is about vaping. 
uh, something which is very prevalent in today's day and age. Uh, the question regarding vaping is that, is it a risk-free option? So the BBC have released a story regarding uh, a particular uh, person named Izzy who is using vapes. And um, the gist of the story basically is that uh, disposable vapes are you know, the latest trend uh, in vaping. Uh, they are much cheaper uh, option when considering uh, a pack of cigarettes. And this is something that, that can be used straight away uh, from the packet. And once you're done with it, you, know, you can just uh, dispose it off and you just throw it away. Um, so the, the story says that uh, the vape that Izzy uses contains about 2% of nicotine, which is, of course, the maximum... Um, allowed which is the maximum number allowed uh, under the uk regulations and it can hold 10 ml of e-liquid which is more than the 2 ml allowed under uk laws um, she says that she uh, is able to buy them in local corner shops and online and izzy states that she is attracted by the colors and the flavors and the fact that she can buy one match a one that can match her outfit or on a night out so she used to smoke occasionally uh, on the weekends, but now she finds vaping a lot more convenient. She said, I vape so much more than I ever smoked. On a night out, I could go uh, get through a whole vape. So e-cigarettes have helped many thousands of people stop smoking by removing the dangerous and toxic tobacco smoke from their habit, uh, giving a huge health boost. But the question still is that whether e-cigarettes or vaping is a safer option or whether it's a, a you know um, risk-free option when it comes uh, to smoking um, now the story says that the e-cigarette vapor which is inhaled can still contain small amounts of chemicals including nicotine uh, which, is ca which would carry risks of, uh, of their own and uh, scientists have worked out what you know they really haven't worked out what uh, they are yet there's concern that young people are taking up vaping because they see it as a completely risk-free uh, option. Uh, Professor, Professor John Britton, honorary professor at the University of Nottingham, who advised the government on its recent report on ending smoking, says, it's inconceivable to say that vaping is safe. It is a balance of risks. If you don't use nicotine in any shape or form, it is madness to start vaping. Uh, Professor Britton anticipates that in 40 or 50 years' time, we will start to see the effects of vaping on people. We will see people developing lung cancer, chronic bronchitis, and other serious lung conditions as a result of their vaping. Uh, but those numbers are likely to be very small, uh, and far smaller than the health issues uh, caused by smoking. Uh, the latest data uh, shows that most teenagers are vaping. Only 11% of 11 to 17 year old uh, have tried vaping in the year 2021. But new data for 2022 hasn't yet been released or published. Uh, and some anticipate that the numbers have increased. The University College London, uh, otherwise known as UCL, its research estimates that there are 74,000 e-cigarette uh, users uh, aged 16 to 17 in England alone. And another UCL study suggests disposable vapes are soaring in popularity among 18-year-old vapors, with more than half now using the product. And of course, if if you know if you go out on the streets, you see uh, youngsters using these 
e-cigarettes, uh, which come, as mentioned, in different shapes of form, different colors, different uh, brands. And it's it's become a very... Uh, something that you know is excessively used now amongst the youth and of course as mentioned it's 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 a it's a way for some smokers who use uh cigarettes and tobacco for them to get off that and you know get their mm. nicotine through a different way right. but uh you know as um, the report suggests professor britain has also said that you know if you haven't uh, used nicotine before it's completely madness to start vaping right. so of course it's 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 uh, there's there's a whole debate regarding it whether it's it's a social if it, whether it's become a social thing more yeah. than just a habit and a lot of people as you know izzy's uh, story suggests that you know she she is not a regular smoker mm. and she uses it when she goes out and you know even matching outfits uh, mm. with the color of the vape is something that, of course, suggests that it's it's more of a social thing. It's something that's done on on you know few occasions when you're out with your friends. Um, but on the other hand, some people think that it's a safer option, and those results, those uh, tests, haven't yet mm. come, you know, to but light. It's a, it's, I'd say it's a safer option when you are vaping less than. Uh, you used to smoke. If 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 you used to smoke, um, as uh, you know, as the story that we're talking about, only on the weekends, and now you're vaping all the time, then yeah. then it's obviously not um, uh, the not, safest option. Not, of not safe anymore. Exactly. So it's about the amount. I mean, it's it's about the balance of risk, as uh, Professor Britton said as well. Um, we spoke earlier about this topic uh, to Ms. Sheila Duffy, who is the CEO of Ash Scotland, which is really uh, stands for Action on Smoking and Health in Scotland. And this is a Scottish charity taking action to reduce harms caused by tobacco and related products. Let's listen in to what she had to say. Uh, let's just start off with a simple one. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and about your organisation, please. So I am the chief executive of Ash Scotland, which is one of four action on smoking and health organisations in the UK. There is no one Ash UK. And my organisation uh, deals with tobacco and related products. It deals with inequalities, with health, with addiction and with preventing young people from being drawn into using tobacco and related products. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, now I've one for you. What's the difference between vaping and, uh, you know, the old traditional smoking? So smoking tobacco has been around for a lot longer, over 100 years, and we know that there is no safe level of use. We know that when used as the manufacturers intend, cigarettes will reliably rob people who use them long term of about a decade of their life expectancy, and that they will be responsible for the early death of about two-thirds of consumers, at least half, up to two-thirds. We know that they're addictive and we know that they are major factors in heart disease and cancers and stroke and COPD. And Mm -hmm. e-cigarettes are a lot newer, so we don't have the full picture on what they do to health. They were originally invented to be a less harmful substitute for tobacco, Um, but they have developed and morphed there are a number of different generations of devices there are tens of thousands of liquids Uh, Mm. they have lower risk chemicals than there are in tobacco but they have 
other factors that are not in tobacco. So we know that they are not safe. We know that they harm health. We know that most of them have nicotine and therefore are addictive, but we haven't got the full picture on e-cigarettes the way we have on tobacco. Okay, so when they first came out, um, there was the big news. I mean, this is like a safe option for smoking, but I think the reality is different. What What is the difference in the harm? And is the e-cigarette or vaping really, I mean, is it safe or is it just slightly better than smoking? So with tobacco, we know that it is probably the most dangerous consumer product to buy and use and that it harms health at any level of smoking, even small amounts of smoking are harmful. And we know that it's addictive. And with e-cigarettes, there are, this is not one device, there are four or five generations of devices from the early cigalikes to the uh, vape pens, to vape shisha, e-shisha, to um, tank devices and the modern disposables that we're seeing everywhere that young people and children are using. And we know that there are some quite rapid health harms. They inflame the lungs, they create addiction, they harm the developing brains and lungs of children as they grow, and they have toxins which have um, known and unknown effects in them and particulate matter which irritates the lungs and can lead to a higher risk of COPD. So we don't know the picture long term. They, we don't know how harmful they are going to be in relation to cigarettes in terms of major heart disease and cancers because these diseases take decades to develop. What we do know is that they are not safe, they are harmful products, they can be very addictive. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so we, we, we mentioned earlier that the, the nicotine level in uh, e-secret is about 2%. Uh, how is that different to, us, to a, uh, a normal cigarette? The 2% figure can be quite misleading because you're actually talking about a maximum permitted level of nicotine in e-cigarette liquids of 20 milligrams of nicotine per milliliter of liquid. So Mm -hmm. it is actually quite a high level of nicotine and the disposables which are being used by children and young people use a form of nicotine salts which hits the bloodstream and the brain quickly so can very quickly become addictive and which is very smooth on the throat, so it doesn't put them off trying these devices. And Mm. I've spoken with heavy smokers who've used them, and they've said, actually, the the nicotine hit feels as addictive as tobacco, and they don't have the natural cue to stop using them because a cigarette burns down and you put it out and you have a pause. An e-cigarette you can puff on all day. So, that again, there's no standard comparison between an e-cigarette and lit-smoked tobacco. Um, so I think it is really, if you were using it very short term, completely coming off tobacco, and it was the best yeah. method for you to stop, that would be one thing and that would be good and a win. But otherwise, there are so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, I mean, these e-cigarettes or vapes are definitely better than... Uh, normal cigarettes? What we know is there's been a lot of research comparing the toxins in normal cigarettes 
with the toxins in e-cigarettes and there is a lower level of those toxins. But there are also unknown new toxins also in e-cigarettes and although they get reported and registered, we don't know what the effects are because these are flavourings often that have been uh, used in food and may be okay to eat. But if you heat them to the point of vapour and breathe them, they can affect your lungs badly and differently. So, um, again, many question marks. I would say yeah. lower toxins, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, lower health harms in the long term. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and then uh, the question is that how can we, or rather why are so many teenagers going to um, vaping? Uh, I mean, I think the numbers are definitely higher than uh, people who smoke. Uh, I mean, the, we, we have a story here of a, of a girl who said that uh, since I start vaping, I'm having so many vapes that I couldn't even smoke this much, like when I was a smoker before. So what's the reason for this? So um, what we've seen in Scotland is a a huge, massive rise in children and young people experimenting with e-cigarettes. And it's been driven by the cheap, easy availability of disposable e-cigarettes, which are brightly coloured, they're sweet flavoured, they're very cheap, they're very easy to get hold of. And it's not like trying a cigarette where you might smell of tobacco smoke and it's fairly easy to spot. These things often look like highlighters, they're quite small and easily concealed and they're turning up in primary schools and among young secondary school aged children. Um, The last figures we had in Scotland were spring 22 figures and they showed a doubling of 30 year olds regularly using them and a tripling of 15-year-olds regularly using them in the past few years. But it's gone up again, and there's been a 50% increase in 11- to 17-year-olds using them. So they're definitely getting into the hands of children. This is extremely worrying because they're potentially addictive, they are definitely health-harming, and they are being used uh, about double the rate of children using tobacco. But we also know from international research that there's a high likelihood that children who've never smoked will end up using cigarettes if they are vaping. Mm-hmm. Uh, just another quick question which came to my mind. Uh, is is uh, passive smoking, uh, I mean, it's quite dangerous as well. Is that the same case with the e-cigarettes? Is the vapes which are uh, being released, are they just as harmful as um, smoking the e-cigarette? So Ash Scotland has called for what is becoming um, an an increasing ask throughout Europe, safe spaces, smoke and aerosol-free environments. So e-cigarettes, the the research is ongoing, it's emerging about their impacts, but what we know is that there is fine particulate matter of the kind you get in air pollution. And we know that that irritates and inflames the lungs. It can cause genetic mutations. And that means that you are likely to have a higher risk of developing lung cancer later in life. So to be safe, we would say these are a form of indoor air pollution. And we would say that they should be included in smoke-free legislation um, in, in the same way as cigarette smoke is. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to my next question. Um, uh, so, firstly, uh, I, I'm no, I don't know if that uh, if, if uh, e-cigarettes are in a um, you have to smoke them in a 
um, smoking area or no? So if you can answer this. And secondly, uh, what do you expect uh, or what do you uh, demand from the government? Uh, uh, you know, what kind of steps should they be taking and uh, to make, to legally kind of um, strict, constrict this um, vaping issue? Yeah. So at the moment, there is no legislation either in the UK or in Scotland uh, that would control the use of e-cigarettes in public places. But a number of different places have policies, and that is to protect their consumers and uh, as a, at the request of their consumers. So, for example, ScotRail, mm. our railway stations, have a ban on vaping as well as smoking. And we know that these um, e-cigarette aerosols can trigger people's asthma attacks. So I think it makes sense to have a voluntary ban and it would make sense to introduce an extension of smoke-free places, public enclosed spaces, um, where you can't smoke to include e-cigarette aerosol because we know it's going to irritate lungs and cause some problems. Throughout the UK, these are very lightly regulated devices and even more so for the ones that say they don't contain nicotine. And we know from European research that some of those will contain nicotine. Uh, in Scotland, we have called, and we have called at UK level, for a ban on disposable e-cigarettes because they are majority used by children and young people underage. And they're getting into schools and they're getting into homes and they are creating problems for the next generation because young people's lungs and brains are particularly vulnerable to these uh, chemicals and these devices. And we have called for the advertising and marketing of e-cigarettes to be the same as for tobacco. So put them out of sight, take them away from the sweeties and the counter displays and um, do not allow them to sponsor you know, children's football clubs and music events where young people go and do not allow free and low price samples. So we are calling on the Scottish Government and the Westminster Government to do this and to regulate more strictly these products. Yes, that's a really good work. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Sheila Duffy. Um, sorry, am I pronouncing your name right? Is it Sheila or Sheila? Sheila. Yeah, you're very, Thank you. You're very welcome. It's it's been a delight to speak with you. Yes, uh, the same, the same here. Thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, yeah, that was Sheila Duffy from um, the Action on Smoking and Health in Scotland talking to us earlier. Uh, let me now go straight to our next guest who's uh, joining us live, uh, Louis Ross, who is from the New Nicotine Alliance, which is a charity that raises awareness of the benefits of switching to non-combustible products to reduce the harms of smoking. Aslam alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Salams, everybody. Really good to be here. Uh, really good to have you. Thank you very much again. So, um, tell us uh, firstly. Let's start about with with the risks of uh, of vaping. It is uh, it is generally seen that people are able to consume a lot more in vapes than they um, than they would otherwise do when they used to smoke or or, or when they uh, when they do smoke. Is that is there any evidence to that? No, no, there's not. Um, people, it's assumed that people are using it more because you vape differently to how people used to smoke. So when you have a cigarette, you, you, you smoke the whole thing from start to finish 
um, but with a vape you tend to kind of sip on it. Um, so you graze rather than binge on nicotine. And one of the reasons why people tend to kind of puff on it more is that they're probably not using enough nicotine, that they're not using a strong enough liquid um, to satisfy their, their urge to smoke. So uh, evidence shows that if you use a strong enough liquid, you firstly won't experience the cravings that you have you know, when you, when you try and stop smoking. Um, but also it means that you, you tend to puff less because you're getting enough nicotine in one go. Well, um, is there uh, any evidence to suggest that um, people are able to leave smoking when, when oh, they start uh, vaping? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's a Cochrane review, the, the um, OHID, which used to be Public Health England, um, they've they've done a very extensive review that was posted in uh, published in uh, 2022. There is ample evidence that vaping displaces smoking, and I, I, I'm not only chair of the New Nicotine Alliance. I ran a stop smoking service for many years, and we were the first vape friendly stop smoking service in the world. And the people who stopped smoking by using a vape were much more successful. Than, uh, than, than people who use nicotine replacement therapy. Um, and, you know, they, they said to me, you know, this has made it so easy to stop smoking. Right, but the thing is, that from another aspect, you know, we speak about addiction. Uh, would it be fair to say, or I mean, a counter-argument is that, you know, it's just a shift from one... Uh, product to the other. I mean, the addiction is still there uh, of taking nicotine. So, you know, how would you oh, counter... No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's something that, you know, of course, you know, when someone plays the devil's advocate, they, they say that and they yeah. counter-argue that. You know, so, you know, it's just a lesser evil, if you put it that way. So how would you, you know, you know if someone has such ideas about vaping, what's the kind of thing that you tell them that, you know, look, you know, this is not how you're seeing it? The worst thing about smoking is the tar, the carbon monoxide, the actual smoke. Vaping isn't a, it, a vape isn't a combustible product. You don't burn it, so you avoid the, the serious harm that comes with smoking. It's the smoke that causes the cancers, the respiratory disease, the heart disease, and without that, you're much, much um, less likely to get ill. Now, yes, there is still nicotine in it, but some similarly with nicotine replacement therapy you know we've been using patches gum lozenges for many many years now and people don't tend to get dependent on that um, there are other things in a smoked cigarette that cause dependence um, partly because of the you know the very fast hit of nicotine to the brain but again in my stop smoking service what we saw was people maybe starting at a high level of liquid and then without any interference from us going down in strength and managing very comfortably at a much lower level of nicotine strength now if it was addictive as you say you'd see people going the other way they'd go up in in terms of the strength they'd, they'd use stronger and stronger liquids to satisfy their craving that did not happen 
Absolutely. So, so, so what you're suggesting is then, of course, for the, for our audience there, is that if someone is trying to come off smoking, then uh, a tried and tested um, you know method is to you know uh, vaping, which has been successful for people. And of course, as you're suggesting that you know people start off with the higher levels of nicotine in their liquid, and they slowly decrease that to a point where they're comfortable. You know, they're comfortable, and you know, ultimately, some even give up. Uh, you know, taking even the vapes. Uh, but you know, you, you mentioned you hinted towards uh, other methods uh, that have been you know used, um, you know, such as the uh, pouches that you put in your on your gums and uh, you know sprays such as nicotine and stuff. Uh, how yeah. successful has that been? And in comparison to that, when we specifically speak about nicotine, um, how does uh, uh, vaping differ, but also you know prove to be more successful? I mean, what is the reason behind it? Well, um, a vape is, I mean, people find a vape more pleasant to use. Nicotine replacement therapy has been very successful for many, many years, but it still doesn't suit everybody. Right. Um, And, you know, people say they get side effects from it, they get hiccups with the the gum and the lozenges, they they find the patch makes them itchy. But um, vaping is more, more pleasant for them, and so they're more likely to stick with it. Um, and I was involved in a study uh, that was published in 2019 uh, by Queen Mary University of London that showed that a year later, um, the, the people who stopped smoking with vaping were twice as likely to still be smoke-free in comparison with people who use patches right. uh, and other nicotine products. So, so, you know, we can see that it has a big public health benefit. Um, to, to quit the vaping. doesn't suit everybody. Uh, some people will choose to, to use nicotine replacement therapy. Um, but, um, you know, so, certainly for many who would otherwise have carried on smoking, we see this as a really beneficial development. Right. And uh, finally, Louise, so um, have you... Uh have you seen or are you aware of or is it too early to talk about the long-term health impact? of vaping? Well, um, all the studies so far, uh, well, the reputable studies anyway, there's there's been some that you would describe as very poor science. Um, Sorry, I'm just putting my (laughs) alarm off. That's fine. Um, um, We we know that without the smoke, there's, um, there's a far, far smaller chance, a significantly smaller chance of developing cancers, uh, respiratory disease and heart disease. Um, and we have better science now. Um, you know, many, many years ago, nobody knew the long-term effects of, of smoking, but uh, our science is much better now, and we know what's causing the disease uh, in smoking, and it's the smoke. So without that, um, we, are, we are as sure as we can be that nothing weird is going to emerge many many years later and and what we've got to remember is that you know in 30 or 40 years time if you carried on smoking you would be seriously ill or dead anyway from a smoking related disease so it's about reducing that risk we're not saying that um you know non-smokers and certainly not young people (laughs) should be should be using it but if you're smoking you're much better off vaping and and completely switching as well some people will will smoke and vape those people need to understand the 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 improvements to their health that will occur if they completely transition to vaping excellent 
Louis, such a pleasure. Thank you so very much for joining us. Um, have a Thank lovely day and um, uh, and week, and all the very best to you. Peace be with you. Thank you very much, and to you. Thank you. Bye bye. So that was Louis Ross, who is from the New Nicotine Alliance, uh, talking to us about vaping. Right. Um, we are coming up to the eight o'clock news, and when we come back uh, from the news break. We shall continue discussion on this topic of vaping. What are the benefits? What are the uh, what are the uh, the harms associated with uh, with vaping, and how quickly or not is it uh, is it actually um, uh, it's it's catching up within um, within society? It seems to be very popular, and they seem to be. Um, uh, it seems to be about balancing the risks as well as. Uh, um, uh, if you're quitting sm- smoking, the benefits. The eight o'clock news is next. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from the South London Studios of Voice of Islam. Today is Monday, the 25th of September 2023. The time is 8.03 a.m. And this morning we've been talking about vaping. And in the last half an hour or so, we've uh, we've spoken to two guests, Louise Ross, who is from the New Nicotine Alliance, and Sheila Duffy, who is the CEO of action on smoking and health in Scotland. Let's now go straight to our last guest for this segment, who is John Waldron, and he is the policy manager at the public health charity Action on Smoking and Health. Assalamualaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Good morning, John. Uh, really a pleasure to speak to you. So, so um, you probably. I would have listened into the discussion we were having. In your opinion, um, how successful has vaping been for those who have um, tried or are trying to quit smoking? So we have really um, strong evidence now that vaping is is very effective for helping adult smokers to quit. You know, e-cigarettes have been around for over a decade, so we have we have lots of studies. And one uh, major study that came out last year, which it looked at evidence from over 70 studies, found that vaping is up to twice as effective than uh, nicotine patches and gum for helping people to quit smoking. Uh, so we know these products really do work. And part of the benefit is for, for smokers is uh, that they allow uh, smokers to manage their nic- the nicotine cravings you get when you quit smoking, but without taking in most of the harmful chemicals you get in tobacco smoke, so things like tar and carbon monoxide, which we know are cancer-causing. Um, and of course, these products are not 
would not be recommended for non-smokers. You know, if you're a non-smoker, breathing in nicotine vapor is obviously not going to be good for your for your lungs. But if you're a smoker, in comparison to inhaling cigarette smoke, using an e-cigarette is much less harmful. And switching completely to a vape from smoking is going to significantly uh, reduce your risk of cancer. And I mean, the other benefits of these products is that they also tend to be quite simple to use, and they're typically cheaper than some of the other stop smoking medications that, that you might find in a pharmacy. And this is why the government has announced a, a, a government in England, should I say, has announced a national swap to stop scheme to offer one million adult smokers e-cigarettes um, to help them quit smoking. And vaping is a, is a core part of the uh, government strategy for reducing smoking rates. Have you seen, John, any um, any incidents where? where somebody may have used vaping and has become addicted to vaping and use vaping more than they actually used to use cigarettes? Uh, I think uh, that's definitely a, a, a possibility. Um, most people who do use e-cigarettes say that they're using them to quit or cut down, but of course these are addictive products. But I think the thing we need to remember is that the, the addictive component in, in e-cigarettes, which is the nicotine, is not the thing which um, brings most of the, the health harms, which causes most of the you know, instances of cancer and heart disease and all the mm -hmm. other diseases you get from smoking. So whilst in an ideal world, you would want people who switch from smoking to vaping to then you know gradually cut down and, and go off vapes and not be addicted to anything. Um, sure. Ultimately, if, if it's helping them, you know, if, they, if, if it's helping them stay off cigarettes, mm. then I wouldn't be too worried about But it about is them becoming a more. social fad as well, is, is it not? I think for the there's definitely an aspect of that um, which is a is a bit of a is a bit of a risk for the as I said for the majority of people um, who are vaping they are either current or former smokers they're people who are using it to quit or cut down uh, the proportion of adults who have never smoked who, who take up vaping is very low um, but it is we don't we, in an ideal world we wouldn't want anyone um, who doesn't smoke to take up vaping uh, so definitely. That is, when these products are available, you know, um, to buy in shops, that's always going to be a slight risk, um, which is why our kind of communication around these products really needs to be focused on uh, the fact they are cessation aids for, for smokers. They are not um, recreational products. They're not meant to be cool or exciting. Um, they're just to help adult smokers quit. Right. So, so you know, just bouncing off that, how can we then raise awareness uh, regarding, uh, you know, the risks to non-smokers but also speak about the benefits for those who are trying to make that switch and are trying to come off uh, smoking cigarettes how do you strike the balance and what do you do to you know to to do that yeah it's a really important question and i think looking at the um the kind of perceptions um of vaping among among sm well, smokers and non-smokers at the moment i think the balance is is too much in the in the wrong direction so if you look at survey evidence around four in ten smokers wrongly believe that, that vaping is as or more harmful as smoking, and this number is going up year on year. Uh, and this really discourages a lot of smokers who might benefit from switching to an e-cigarette from, from trying it, uh, meaning that many of them will carry on smoking and, and obviously later in life um, develop uh, cancer and other serious diseases. And on a, around a quarter of smokers have still not tried vaping despite the, the potential benefits uh, for them. So there's more we need to do uh, to reach them um, and so we really need to see national messaging 
from the government targeted at smokers specifically, saying out the effectiveness of these products, of, of vapes for quitting smoking. And you know, as I said, vaping is a key part of the government strategy for reducing smoking rates. But there's a real risk that this is going to be undermined by a kind of lack of awareness about the effectiveness of e-cigarettes for quitting and some of the misunderstandings. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. This messaging needs to be targeted at smokers um, and it needs to be really clear that these products are specifically for smoking cessation. They're not for non-smokers or children. They're not recreational products. They're not 100% risk-free. Um, while they are lower risk than smoking, they're not risk-free. And they are designed exclusively to help adult smokers quit. And that's how we need to be talking about these products. Right, but you know, when, you know the thing is that, uh, and uh, this is also from like, first-hand experience, that you know when you go out, you see a lot of youngsters, uh, you know, clearly and quite evidently, they are, you know, quite very young, I would say children, uh, you know, smoking uh, or vaping, I would say. Um, so do you think that uh, there should be regulations similar to uh, that which is for youth smoking when it comes to vaping? Uh, do you think that could be a way to basically bring down the number of, of uh, younger uh, you know, the youngers uh, to be taking up vaping. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. There are definitely lessons we can take from our success uh, in reducing youth smoking rates in England, which we can apply to uh, kind of cracking down on youth vaping, which is obviously something we we really want to avoid. And if we look at what's worked to reduce youth smoking rates over the last like two decades, um, it's really been making them less affordable by you know, increasing the tax and restricting the kind of advertising and marketing and branding and visibility of these products. And we need to do the same thing uh, for vaping. And we can do that without um, kind of restricting their availability too much to adults who, who might want to use them to quit smoking. So the first thing that we've called on the government to do is to put a £5 excise tax on every single disposable vape to make them less affordable to, to children. You know, it's like you highlighted that issue of, you know, you see lots of kids in the street using vapes. Typically the products they're using are these cheap disposable e-cigarettes. And these are the kind of products that are really at driving youth use and they're currently available at really really at pocket money prices and so we need to increase the price um, to make those less affordable I think secondly uh, you know we need to ban the display and promotion of vapes in all shops except for specialist vape shops which have age restrictions you know I'm sure you've had the same experience as me where you walk into a corner shop or an electronics shop and there are vape promotions in the window at the counter uh, big colorful vape displays it's really in your face um, and we know that shops are the main source of e-cigarettes for underage vapors, and over half of children say that they've seen vape promotions in shops. So we really should have the same rules here as we have for tobacco, which isn't promoted, it's behind the counter, it's out of sight, out of mind, and we want to have the same thing uh, for vaping. And then finally, we need to prohibit all the branding which appeals to children. You, know, you look at a lot of the, the packaging and the branding of these products, uh, it's really unnecessary for appealing to adult smokers. You don't need cartoon characters, you don't need packaging that looks like sweet packaging or flavors with sweet names like gummy bears and skittles which are some of the more popular ones this is clearly designed to appeal to children and should be banned and if we do these three things in addition to some of the other measures the government's already announced um, it would help to ensure that we we crack down on youth vaping and reduce the number of children experimenting with these pr these products whilst um, making sure they stay available for adults in a regulated way um, to use them to quit smoking and it's about striking that balance right uh, and very lastly uh you spoke about these uh, disposable uh, vapes that you see, these colourful ones. Uh, how, I mean, what are the different, 
variants of vaping and also you know if there is someone out there who is looking to uh, you know come off smoking and maybe take up take the route of vaping uh, how, what 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 is the method for them? Where do they start? So if you know the, the, the these are two questions, but if you could just you know shed light on both. Yeah, of course. So in terms of the different um, products, type of products that are, that, are, that are available, so you have there's kind of two or three uh, main types. So most e-cigarettes are are kind of reusable, refillable products. Um, so some of those will be kind of a small USB, they look, look a bit like a USB stick where you have a, a, a nicotine cartridge which you, you kind of, you, you buy and you put new, new nicotine cartridges in and then you got other kind of big tank models, the ones that you see kind of, that release a lot of the, you know, the vapor when people exhale, um, which are a bit more technical um, and you can kind of refill, recharge, swap out different parts. And then more recently we've seen the kind of emergence of these disposable um, products which I mean they have pros and cons so they're very simple to use they're, they're very affordable there's a lot of adult smokers um, that you find these uh, products quite useful for for quitting and particularly if you just want to try vaping disposables are quite good but there are there's also big issues around um, just the sheer number of them get that get thrown away that get littered they're supposed to be recycled but the uh, there's not very good awareness about um, where to recycle them, how to recycle them. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of big problems there. But in terms of uh, what routes a, a smoker who wants to try vaping might try um, to help them quit, I mean, I would say just go on the NHS Stop Smoking website for a start. They have lots of information about, about how to quit smoking. There's a, a NHS Stop Smoking app. Um, and they also have advice about using e-cigarettes and the different types of products and how you might use them. Um, and I definitely recommend anyone who wants to quit smoking, uh, have a, get in touch with their local stop smoking services. This, should, this will be free to access. There should be one in just about every area um, and you'll be able to get kind of advice and support about how you go about quitting smoking. And if you are interested in using a vape, then you, know, you can buy them in, in most supermarkets, in most shops. Um, go to your local vape shop um, even better because they'll be able to give you advice on uh, like the best types of products to use and you can try some different products and see what works for you um, yeah that would be my advice Excellent, thank you so very much John once again really a pleasure to speak to you have a lovely week, peace be with you Great, thank you very much, you too Thank you, bye bye So that was John Waldron from the Action on Smoking and Health charity uh, here in the UK Right, so um, uh, coming towards the end of this topic, really, to wrap this up, um, Imam Zafri, uh, we, we are talking about vaping and we're talking about um, quitting smoking. So looking at it from an, from an Islamic perspective, I guess it's, um, it, it's a good thing that if anything can help you in terms of quit, quitting smoking. But what, what are the general um, uh, Islamic teachings on, uh, on anything that might be addictive? Um, uh, or, or can actually lead to addiction. So generally speaking, I think it's important that uh, you know addiction is a very broad term. There's different kind of addictions. You know, now one of the addictions that they speak about is being addicted to your phone. So mm. Islam always talks about moderation. You know, excessive use of something. Right. Now, in particular, with something such as smoking or vaping or alcohol or other things that have a direct impact on your health. Mm. Uh, that's another case, and uh, you know, uh, 
Islam or the Holy Quran speaks of taking care of your body. You mm. know, God has endowed this big blessing on you. Mm. So first of all, being grateful is the most important thing. Being grateful to God for giving this body. Mm. But the second aspect is to taking care of that body. Right. And uh, the Quran says that. Do not put you do not you know thrust your hands into uh, you know uh, annihilation or hmm. self destruction self destruction or destruction. So that is you know the guiding principle, which is that anything that you know causes harm, you should stay away from it. You hmm. shouldn't involve in it, uh, and you know. This is what Islam says, and then the the Holy Prophet peace be upon him said that you know your body has rights over you, you need to take care of your body. So that all falls in that then that you know anything that harms your body, you should refrain from. Uh, but you know there's a big debate uh, regarding this uh, smoking, whether it's permissible or impermissible. And a lot of the the ulama or the scholars have said that though there we cannot uh, show. Uh, you know that it's impermissible through the Holy Quran or the Sunnah of the Holy Prophet because it didn't exist at that time or such. But we do say that it's you know it's not advised to to do it. Uh, and of course, you know the principles of harming yourself, using that it's something that of course which is something which is not uh, plaudible. Uh, and this is what. Uh, the Islamic principles are, as far as other things are concerned, addiction. Hmm. Uh, or I think we've done a pro- done a program of moderation as well before. Yeah. Uh, moderation is a thing. You know, addiction. You know, can be you know, in the broad way, it can be something that you know we can stretch out to even people are addicted to food. They they have specific amount of food. They're addicted to having food. They're addicted to being on their phones. They're addicted, to, you know, uh, on watching. Uh, you know, TV, excessive mm. amount of TV, excessive mm. amount of reels uh, on, on their phone. So I think with that sort of addiction, Islam speaks about, and of course, those are also harmful in their own respective manner. Mm. Um, but Islam speaks about moderation, that take everything moderately yeah. and uh, stay away from anything that harms you. And I think that's a very basis of uh, all the addictions, that, you know, you are not putting your health or your yourself before that particular thing and you're letting that take over you hmm. and this is where Islam comes in it's like, you know, it, it kills it from the root that you know, moderation be careful and don't put your hand uh, when it comes to such as things as smoking and you know drinking and hmm. uh, you know drugs hmm. uh, it says that don't even, don't even go near it don't, don't, go, don't put your hand into destruction don't thrust yourself into destruction hmm. take care of your body and you know you'll be fine Hmm. Right, or, or or even stay away from from things that uh, might lead to it, uh, addiction, like uh, you know all the things that you talked about. Right, excellent. Thank you very much for that. That brings us uh, to the end of the first topic. We shall now take a very quick break, and when we come back, we will begin discussion on the second topic, which is about recycling. So, what happens to your old phone when it is recycled? Do stay tuned. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, 
broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from South London Studios Voice of Islam. We are now about to delve into the second topic, which is about recycling and what, hap- what happens to your phone or phones when they, um, uh, when they become old. So a vast repair shop um, uh, here in the UK has been processing about 4 million old mobile phones um, a year. We had a look inside Ingram Micro in Norwich to find out what happens to second-hand gadgets when they arrive, about 350 technicians either repair devices ready to resell or salvage their materials to reduce landfill waste. More than 5 billion phones were thrown away last year. This, according to International Waste Electric and Electronic Equipment Forum, or WEEE. So 92% of the phones um, that are recycled are actually reusable, and 8% uh, of those phones um, were taken um, uh, were taken and um, and went actually to a landfill. The process of recycling old phones is firstly they're collected through various drop-off points. These days, mobile phone companies also trade in. Um, there are various collection drives um, and mailback programs as well. So they're then sorted, and non-working phones are, uh, and working phones are then separated, and non-working phones are then uh, uh, put through a repair process and uh, dismantling some of them and uh, um, changing some of their parts such as screen, circuit board, battery, casing, etc. And then separation takes the phone parts into material types or for instance copper and gold as well and from circuit board and whilst plastic from casing melted and shredded. Uh, refining uh, uh, means, means, means that uh, parts are free from impurities and contaminants. Right, we spoke earlier with um, uh, with an expert on um, on this topic, and uh, that was Paul Sanderson, um, who is the chief executive of the Recycling Association. Let's listen in to what he had to say. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your organisation, please. Good morning. Uh, I'm uh, Paul Sanderson. I'm the chief executive of the Recycling Association. We are a trade association that represents the interests of uh, a wide variety of recycling companies. So that can be the companies that collect your um, recycling and rubbish from your households, or it can be from businesses um, and also the people who actually recycle it. So we have kind of paper mills who are members, plastic recyclers, metal recyclers, all sorts of different companies that recycle various materials. Mm-hmm. So you're not limited to just phones. No, no, not not at all. So we cover the the sort of vast majority of the the recycling industry. To be honest. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. Um, so, what is your company's role in electronic waste recycling? Um, uh, if you can also mention the mobile phones, so. sure. So. Um, as an organisation ourselves, we don't um, recycle anything. We, as I mentioned, we represent the, the recycling companies, but many of our members are involved in electronic waste recycling and mobile phone recycling. So um, they will collect them, they'll recycle them, they reuse them. Um, so essentially, you know, they they may have other services that they offer. Like I said earlier, that 
it could be that they're collecting, you know, the um, paper and cardboard and plastic bottles and cans from your household, but also uh, will, you know, be collecting um, mobile phones. So if you go to like a, a, a um, council tip in your area, they may have like a, a facility to collect the, the phone there um, and then process it and send it on to either be reused or recycled elsewhere. So our companies tend to be quite involved in lots of different areas of waste management and recycling, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And how does the whole process work? So uh, my phone's broken, for example, uh, from this mm -hmm. point to the uh, point where it's recycled. Uh, how does the process work? Can you tell me a little bit about this, please? Yeah, of course. So um, many people will have used, you know, the um, phone recycling services where they'll they'll pay for um, your phone, so you send it back. You know, ideally you wipe your phone before you do that for security purposes. But um, you send it to these companies and it could be your phone provider, it could be, you know, the company that made your phone or it could be a specialist company. Um, and what they do is they will see whether the phone is still working. If it is, it's more likely to be sold on for reuse there. So, um, you know, in some nations where maybe they can't, some people can't afford the latest phone, um, they'll sell those um, to be used by people there um, or it could be in, even in the UK. Um, then if the phone isn't suitable for reuse, it will go through a recycling process. So what they'll do is they'll take out the battery and that will go to a battery recycling facility um, because they're lithium ion batteries, so they need specialist technologies to recycle those. Then mm -hmm. the phone itself, there's lots of precious metals in there, um, rare earth metals. So what they do is they um, will shred the phone up, they'll heat it, and then they'll extract all of those metals and any other valuable materials from it and um, then they'll, they'll be those, those materials will be sold um, you know to, to create new phones or uh, for cars or whatever it may be that the needs for computer chips so um, that's essentially the process that, that's used mm -hmm. so everything separated the chips uh, the screen the batteries and then they kind of pressed together yeah, so the, the, they'll separate it and they'll, they'll go through like a shredder. So it's kind of like an industrial version of like the just as a home paper shredder that people may have, um, and it, it chops it up into tiny pieces. And that way, you can then heat it up and extract like the, the various materials more effectively. So um, the different metals will um, break down at a different temperature, so that you can then extract, you know, say cobalt or lithium or whatever the, the metal may be that's within the phone. Okay, interesting. And you were mentioning uh, batteries are uh, mm. dangerous to uh, recycle. They're not supposed to be recycled. What's the danger behind it and uh, how are they recycled? Um, so the batteries themselves, um, when they're in the phone or, you know, if you've got the same sort of battery in um, an electric car or, you know, a vape, a lot of people use vapes these days, they're actually really safe when the when the sort of not being um, used. But what, what often happens is that if you leave those batteries in the phone or um, if you have a vape, for example, um, that you just put in a domestic bin, it can often go get confused in that process. So it will go through like a, a, what's called a materials recycling facility. And, it, you know, that will be with like paper and cardboard and bottles, cans, all the sorts of stuff that you put in your recycling. And if, if it goes into that process, it will go through a shredder 
and the, the battery effectively, once it gets to a shredder, goes to a shredder, will explode and that will cause a fire when it's mixed with all the paper and the plastics, etc. So it's really essential that if people have any batteries that they don't ever put them in home recycling, um, but put them into um, you know, the specialist mm -hmm. containers that they may get in the local council tip or um, you know, in supermarkets or um, other shops because, like I say, there's a huge fire risk and um, cause a lot of issues for, for our members. So lithium-ion batteries in particular are really dangerous, um, cause really big fires. So, um, mm -hmm. like I say, it's best for them to be re recycled at specialist facilities where they can extract the lithium safely and, and in under safe conditions. Thank you. Um, so, uh, can you give me some uh, numbers? Uh, what, what does your company do? How many phones uh, do you recycle, uh, or like any anything that you recycle? Um, let's say in a month or in a year. Um, we, uh, as an organisation, we don't recycle phones ourselves. And, and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what the the total number of phones that they recycle by our members would be. But um, it's significant because you know a lot of um, a lot of people do like to replace their phones every two or three years, and so um, you know yeah. there's a lot of phones going through the system. But like I say, a lot of them do actually end up being reused by other people, whether that's in, in the UK or abroad. Okay, and uh, would you happen to know anything about the, the quality of those recycled phones? I mean, uh, obviously, as a phone is a very complicated device. Um, if, if it's recycled, it's I assume it would be like a very low quality, maybe a slow phone. Yeah, that, that's definitely the case. I think, um, you know, it, it, it sort of depends on what people can afford as well, doesn't it? You know, some people might be able to afford the latest um, iPhones or Samsungs or whatever it may be, uh, where, whereas others, you know, have to buy a, a not-so-good phone. But, you know, some people may want a certain brand and a certain make, and if it's got a few scratches on the screen, they're not so bothered about that. It just depends, really. I think it's also the case that once you um, you know start again with a phone, it does tend to be a little bit quicker. It's once you fill it up, you know, for all your pictures and music or whatever, maybe and files, that it starts to slow down a little bit. Yeah, and lastly, uh, um, what what are some of the goals or initiatives of your company? Uh, what are you working towards, um, and what do you expect in the near future, uh, especially around recycling? But mm -hmm. we're constantly working on lots of new um, initiatives and inevitably, you know, because we're called the Recycling Association, I think that um, what we do is, is generally sustainable. Uh, so the things that we're looking to do are to push the government to make recycling easier for everybody. So I think at the moment there's a lot of confusion around recycling. So what we try and do is um, look at ways in which we can simplify recycling so that Wherever you go in the country, you should be able to recycle the same materials, not with seven bins like uh, the Prime Minister said the other day, but with, with less bins than that. Um, but also, but where, wherever you are, you'll always understand that um, you know recycling is easy. And also on the packaging to then tell you which bin it goes into so that you, know, you can look at an item and go, okay, mm. that goes into my paper bin, for example, or it should go into my plastic bin. Because even though I've been in the recycling industry, industry for almost 20 years, sometimes I look at something and I don't know myself. So... If the manufacturer puts on there which bin it should go into, then it's helpful for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Okay, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, uh, that was all for today. Uh, a really pleasure speaking to you.
and I really appreciate uh, the you um, you know I had this interview with us. Right, so that was Paul Sanderson, who is the chief executive of the Recycling Association, talking to us earlier. Let me now go to uh, straight to our last guest for this segment, uh, who is Libby Peak, the head of uh, resources at Green Alliance. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the breakfast show. Thank you very much. Good morning. Morning. Uh, so, Libby, tell us um, about Green Alliance's work. Um, uh, in terms of promoting awareness about electronic waste and uh, the in- environmental impact of it. So Green Alliance is a charity and independent think tank, and we focus on achieving ambitious leadership for the environment. And when it comes to resources, what we want to see is a world where waste is designed out in the first instance, and we use our precious resources with utmost care. When you're thinking about things like electronic waste, that's actually really important because there's lots of resources and lots of energy and lots of lots of precious metals that actually go into the electronics before you even get your hands on them. Um, and so I think um, we're very, very aware of the fact that we have a real problem when it comes to electronic waste in the UK. The, the UN estimates that actually we produce more electronic waste than any other country in the world apart from Norway. And it looks like we might be set to overtake Seriously? Norway. Wow, yes, in the world. I know. Yeah, on a per-person basis. Right. Um, so per-person, we're, we're creating more electronic waste than, than the US and China, which I think is, is really surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the problem isn't just with the waste that you have at the end, but with all of the materials that go into it. So if you think about a typical smartphone, mm-hmm. to manufacture every single smartphone, you need to use about 160 baths worth of water. You need to mine through 6.5 kilograms of ore to get to the 75 grams of metal it contains. And the one that I find most shocking is actually manufacturing every single smartphone emits 60 kilograms of carbon dioxide, which is over 300 times the weight of the phone itself. So these, these products have a real impact, but it's mainly at the start of the, the material cycle where sorry, Libby, the can, biggest can, impact occurs. Sorry, sorry to stop. Can you repeat those stats, please? So 60 kilograms of uh, carbon, uh, carbon yep. emissions. Um, and what else did you... Uh, how much was the... Um, uh, with the ext- ore extraction from uh, from so mining? you have to mine through at least 6.5 kilograms of ore to get to the 75 grams of metal it contains so that's nearly 100 times the weight of ore you have to get through wow. just to get those metals out and then 160 baths worth of water um, are needed to produce every phone <laughs> okay i wasn't aware of any of this that's very interesting right so yeah that is a lot of waste that 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 um, yeah. Uh, when you actually use, don't use that phone or want to throw it away, which a lot of us do when whenever there's a new iPhone and there is a new iPhone now has uh, been announced as we, as we speak. So if I can just uh, maybe t- you know ask the same question slightly differently, isn't there, isn't there a role to be played by, uh, by sellers of mobile phones such as Apple? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, there's a, certainly a role to be played by, by manufacturers as well as government. Um, so there's there's legislation that we could use to, to make sure that products were long-lasting, that mm-hmm. they were designed to be repaired, and that the, the manufacturers then had a responsibility to ensure they were um, providing repairable part, the spare parts and, and instructions for repair. And I think that, that sort of approach would make it easier for people to keep their phones in use for as long as possible, which is 
which is what's really, and phones and other electronic devices, and that, that's the most important thing when it comes to electronics, to, to keep them in use as long as possible, whether you do it yourself or you pass it on to someone else to use. But is, isn't there really a, a bigger problem in terms of how we're approaching this? So, uh, you know, an example that comes to mind is that when, you, when you're trying to diet, you don't, uh, you don't put yourself in the middle of uh, cakes and, um, uh, and, and, and all sort of patties and, and good food around you and all the good aromas. You try to stay away from them. But, you know, we have all of this advertising. We have these new models coming out uh, every other month from either Samsung, Apple, other manufacturers. There's so many now um, from China as well. Yeah. Shouldn't there be uh, some regulation to balance uh, the launch of new models as well? Because when, whenever there's a new model, obviously, the way it's advertised, everybody wants to buy it. Everyone wants to have it. Yeah, I know. I think advertising does does play a real role in making people want the latest thing. I suppose it would be really a lot better if if manufacturers concentrated not on releasing entirely new products, but making sure that their products that they're putting out could be upgraded to support the latest features. So there are some companies that are trying to do that. There are some companies that are dedicated to that in their business model to, to have sort of more modular parts. So meaning that if they make a camera and then they make a better camera. You can replace that camera without having to replace the entire phone. Um, and if, if more manufacturers were encouraged or, or took, the, took their own initiative to, to take that sort of approach and to make that the most attractive things to consumers, to sell to, to the public, that, hey, look, you can have the latest um, technology, you can have the latest software, but you don't have to have an entire new phone, that would, that would be much better. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned was that, you know, of course, the the staggering stats that you mentioned. But I mean, from a very um, important aspect of waste and uh, environmental impact, um, can you just, you know, if just for the benefit of our audience, uh, if you can shed some light on uh, the environmental impact of these electronic wastes, you know, especially when, you know, how you said it's not managed properly, when they aren't managed, what sort of you know what sort of effects have we seen um, with electronic waste? Well, it really depends what sort of process they go through. Um, so in the UK, a lot of electronic devices, even when they go to recycling, so if they're repaired or reused, this this doesn't happen. But when they go to the actual recycling process, quite often that's based on shredding. Um, so the material, the the entire product's going to be shredded, and then some of the most uh, valuable material, like there's lots of precious metals in there, you can then extract some of that to be recycled. But a lot of the material still isn't going to go to very high value uses. And actually, a lot of electronics contain plastic, which have a lot of um, flame retardants in them. So that means that they can't really be used again. So those will those will then have to be incinerated, probably, which isn't good for the environment. Right. But actually, it's even worse if we export our electronic waste to, to developing countries. And, and some waste from, from the UK does go down that route. It normally, it does so illegally. It's not, it's not meant to happen. But there's a real problem with sending our waste abroad to places like Ghana, where um, they don't have the facilities often to correctly handle them. So, so people will quite often um, have to break down the electronics manually, which is which is potentially quite dangerous. But the worst bit is if they if they set fire to wires and things like that to get to valuable copper and other sort of metals in there, they expose themselves to really really quite hazardous um, toxic chemicals. The toxic fumes from burning from burning plastic are really bad for the people who are handling the material. Right. Uh, I just want to quickly turn towards um, 
circular economy. Uh, can you, you know, just quickly and briefly explain the term circular economy and also what it means in the context of um, electronic waste and why it's so relevant? Yeah, it's, I think it's really important that we aim for this sort of approach and it, it's best understood in contrast to our current economy, which is really linear. Everything moves in one direction. So we take materials out of the ground, we make products from them, we use them sometimes really, really briefly, and then we send them either back into the ground or up into the air or through incineration. And it's, it's a really wasteful sort of way to, to approach the economy. And so a circular economy, by contrast, is aiming to keep materials and products in use at their highest value for as long as possible. So once you make the materials, the aim, make the product, the aim is to, to keep that product itself, the entire product, in use through through measures like uh, direct reuse or repair if there's a minor fault, and then as a very last resort, you recycle. But but the most important thing is to to keep the products in use, and so in that way you can reduce the amount of pressure you put on the environment and the resources you use through manufacturing new products. Right, but surely do do you think that that sort of uh, uh, policy would have an impact elsewhere? Do you think people will adhere adhere to that? Or do you think, you know, just the the materialistic uh, sensation of having, you know, the latest phone or having an elite version of, of uh, you know, a device, you know, will be a big hindrance in achieving that? I think it's definitely a hindrance. I mean, I think that, that, that has a lot of responsibility for creating the situation we find ourselves in. But I think the people are becoming more aware of the problems of this approach. Some people are. And so there's, there's certainly scope to, to approach it in a different way and to do things like um, to ensure that you have repairable and potentially upgradable phones, to ensure that phones and other products can have the latest software operating on them, because that's quite often a reason why people get rid of their phones. It's, n- it's not just um, the fact that the, the hardware itself is a problem. Um, so I think by making sure that people have uh, repairable, long-lasting phones, that would be a really good thing. I mean, our research shows that people are quite often frustrated by products that don't last as long as they expect them to. Um, around two-thirds of the people we surveyed in the UK said that they're regularly frustrated by products that don't last. So that sort of, those sorts of products, those sorts of faults that occur, we can certainly address those through, through legislation about um, how long products should last and, and whether or not people should be able to upgrade them. And then hopefully there's, there's a way to, to ensure that people don't just want the latest thing, they also want to ensure they're doing the right thing by the environment. Yeah, but so, you know, just uh, you know, playing devil's advocate, uh, on, the, on the flip side of this, don't you think that would be a slight... It's a slight issue when it comes to the economics of all these things, uh, of you know phone sales and you know of course all the you know that department of sales. Don't you think that would have a big impact if you know you have one product that's a long-lasting product, and you don't release a product for let's say five, six, seven years? Uh, don't you think that will be you know somewhat damaging to the economy? Uh, I definitely think that there's uh, business models that will need to be adjusted to right. to to, to um, meet this sort of world. But it is it is certainly possible that there are there are companies at the moment who who base their business model on reusing materials. And we we interviewed some of them recently, and they found that actually their their profit margins are are 
quite a bit higher than some of the traditional models selling selling new materials in some instances. But I suppose the other thing to be aware of is that these these products often contain really critical raw materials. So they're the ones that have uh, that are either potentially going to become scarce in the future or that carry geopolitical risks. So I think a lot more companies are becoming aware that. In future, they might struggle to get hold of some of the, the metals and some of the resources that they put into their phones. And so right. a business model that, that changes so that they don't have to keep digging up the ground, they don't have to keep finding these rare materials, is potentially a more resilient business model for them in the future. Right. Thank you very much uh, for for that. And I think that's been very insightful for our audience Um but yeah, I mean, we we need to you know t- take those things in consideration, and you know be mindful of that. Um, Libby, what, where do you think we are in terms of um, uh, of success uh, in terms of recycling phone uh, phones in the UK? So you give us some stats in terms of you know how phone is is made and uh, some dreadful stats there. Uh, yeah. So so how successful or not are we when it comes to recycling? phones do you have any stats there yeah well i suppose even when it comes to recycling we do have a long way to go we're not necessarily recycling as much as we need to and actually there is a real problem in the uk with um hoarding electronic devices so i'm i'm sure a lot of listeners will have at least one or possibly two phones Mm. in their homes that that are that are they're holding on to potentially if they need to have another phone if they're current phone breaks Mm. but the fact that we keep those in drawers that means that we're not then releasing those back into the world where they can either be reused or where the materials that are in them can be recycled did Um, you look into my drawer this morning how did you (laughs) right pretty much everyone has a has at least one old phone in their drawer um but overall when it comes to electronic waste where we recycle i think it's a bit more than 50 percent um, of waste is is collected for recycling in the UK, but that's actually that's not that great. Um, it's about 55 percent when last I looked. If you compare that to a country like Norway, which, as I said, is the only one that produces more waste per person um, than the UK, they actually recycle 71 percent of their waste. So so they produce more waste, but they're actually recycling more of it. So even on recycling, we do have some way to go. So uh, just to understand this term recycling, when we say recycling, does it mean, you know, giving uh, just giving it away to um, in the recycling bin as as we have it or recycling as in trading it uh, up for, for another product or another phone? So if it's being reused, if it's being repaired or, or passed on, we would call that reuse and repair. When, when we talk about recycling, we're thinking about the process by which the phone is no longer reusable. You can't give it to another person. So either you, you might take some parts out of it and then shred and recycle the rest, or, or you, you shred it and recycle the materials in it. So that's what we mean when we talk about recycling. Um, and that's, that, as I say, that's the, that's the sort of last resort you want to do if you can't actually reuse the phone or, or the parts in it. Right. Okay. Is is uh, but again, I'm not an expert with this, and I in this area, so I I don't know what what is the um uh, is the weight of the various metals within within a phone and how that would correspond if you want to trade up. But um, uh, again, you know, going back to the to the phone manufacturers, is there a case to be made for for them to to provide more incentives for 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 consumers to trade up? 
Um, you know, when I look to, for example, whenever I've looked to trade up, uh, the offers that I get are abysmal. So, you know, I get, for example, you know, what, 50 quid for um, for an old phone versus, what, 1100 for the new one that yeah. I want to buy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there there is definitely a growing movement for, for people to resell their phone, and the particular young people, I think, are, are savvy to this and aware that the, the phone itself um, does maintain a lot of value. So you get a lot of people who, who will sell on their phone through through online platforms rather than going back to the manufacturer. Mm. Um, but I think either way, the, the most important thing is that the phone does stay, stay in use for as long as possible. Sure, of course. Libby, thank you so very much. This was very insightful and, uh, yeah, absolutely, so, uh, you know, a revelation as well in some, some of the <laughs> stats that you shared. So thank you so very much for joining us. Have a lovely day and rest of the week. A pleasure. You too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Peace be with you. Great. So that was Libby Peek, uh, who is the Head of Resources at uh, the Green Alliance. Right, uh, you know, pretty interesting um, discussion that. Uh, so, Imam Zafri, coming towards the end uh, of... Um, uh, of the topic now and and the show. Um, a circular economy, as we were talking about, is something very important in Islam as well uh, in terms of looking after the planet and looking after uh, Islam essentially is really two things, which is Hakukullah, which is rights of, of God, and Hakukullah, which is rights of creation. Yep. Uh, and 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 both are equal in, in measure. So uh, in terms of the rights of creation, uh, you know, it, Looking after and and looking after your neighbors, looking after society has a huge importance in 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 Islam. So how how, how would you um, then state the importance of something like recycling um, uh, to take care of the environment in the context that we're talking about? So the thing is that, of course, um, and I think I've mentioned this before as well that you know in Genesis the Bible. God speaks about how this earth or the world has been given to man, mm. and the man is a steward, a stewardship. It's 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 a concept within within uh, the Christian faith. Mm. Uh, this is also something that Islam speaks about. You know how God Almighty has blessed you with this world and all the things within, and you know first of all is being grateful to God for you know giving us this mm. beautiful place, but being grateful is the first step sure the second step is of course if you if you are grateful for if something really you take care grateful. of it right yeah. like if I give you a gift you know an expensive yeah. gift you, you're going to thank me first right yeah. I mean that's the basic uh, you know yeah. uh, etiquette uh, you know when you give Correct. and receive gifts you thank them but then you, when you see that this gift is very meaningful it's expensive yeah. Yeah. you know and you then cherish it and you also take care of it Correct. So in the same way God has gifted us with this world, it's our responsibility now to not only just be grateful to God for giving this yeah. gift, but also cherishing it and taking care of it. So this is what Islam teaches that, you know, take care of what God has given you, whether that's your health, whether that's your family, whether that's your, you know, wealth, whether that's your, uh, you know, the surrounding, your atmosphere, your, all the things that come under, you know, the creation of God and also the hukuk, as you mentioned, the, the rights of God they, 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 all of these things fall under those two categories so when it comes to the you know preserving uh, the world taking care of it again it's very very important in Islam you know the Holy Prophet peace be upon him would say that you know if you're walking on a path and you see that there's something which is harmful mm. 
if you remove it from the path, you will receive blessings from God. You will receive reward from God. Though this seems like a very, you know, it's 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 a, you know, saying of etiquette, you know, removing mm. from the path. But you know, it's got a deeper uh, message behind it that you know, right. it's not just about uh, praising or you know doing worship of God Almighty. That is just one aspect of your faith. You know, if you see something which is harming the, you know, your the world or is harming, you know, your way, or is harmful to others that could be you know, passing by, then take action and, you know, do something about it. Mm-hmm. And the message again is that, you know, so that, you know, if you, if you see a thorn on, on on the street, remove it, lest someone comes else and steps on it and hurts himself. Yeah. Now, let's take that, let's, let's, let's put that into perspective. What Islam is, you know, basically is saying is that, you know, if you know if there's something that will impact others in a very harmful way, mm. then take action, do something about it. Don't just sit on it, do something about it. You know, get rid of that problem. And when we see that, you know, the global warming, the whole issues with how the sea levels are rising, how we aren't taking care of our world, um, we need to really sit back and think that, you know, if you know, in the future, our generation, future generations, they're going to be living in this, on the same very planet, right? On the very same planet, on the same very Earth. What sort of situation are we going to be leaving Earth for them? Are we going to leave it in a better state than we were mm. in? Or are we going mm. to leave it in a far worse state that we have it at the moment? Uh, and so it's a form of trust as well for on us. Of course, it's, yeah. it's a form of trust and it's a form of responsibility on us mm. that we take care of this place. And of course, you know, referring back to that hadith, it, it, it says that, you know, do something about it. You'll re- receive reward. So not only are you making the world a better place, but you're also receiving reward from God Almighty for doing that. Mm. So that incentive is there uh, to do it. But Islam, nowhere again, you know, d- states that, you know, uh, just do whatever you want. It says that, look, you have to be thoughtful and, you know, you have to mindful be of the mindful of, of course. And in every aspect, you know, um, when it comes to specifically the atmosphere and stuff, the whole prophet peace be upon him, you know, when he would speak of uh, going to uh, for battle, mm. one of the things, the principles that he had laid down is that you do not touch the cattle, you do not mm. touch the, you know, the farmland, you do not cut trees unnecessarily. Mm. Mm. So even at times of war, mm. the principle was that you know those things that are beneficial for our environment, mm. for the atmosphere of the world they should not be harmed in any shape or form. If someone has come to fight us, you know, has come to, you know, come on the field for battle, then yes, you fight them. But out of animosity, you don't t- trust, you don't touch their cattle, you don't touch their uh, their, their farms, you don't touch uh, the, the, the trees of their land, you don't touch the flowers of their, of their side of, uh, you know, the map. Mm. So those things were, you know, they weren't just there for the sake of it, they had a deeper, uh, you know, understanding and meaning behind it, uh, and those are the things that you know. Even the Holy Prophet was so cautious about things, you know, don't unnecessarily pluck out flowers, don't uh, do things that harm the environment, don't cut a tree without uh, a specific reason, mm-hmm. don't cross contaminate things if it causes harm mm-hmm. to 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 animals. Mm-hmm. So. You know, and this is during wartime, so you can co- imagine what 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 would be the teaching be in peacetime. Of course, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like these things, you know, cross contamination, uh, pesticides, and stuff that cause uh, have an effect. Those things were, you know, the Holy Prophet took, you know, spoke about them and said that you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't 
don't change the natural way that God Almighty has created. You know, the world's been running for so many millenniums. Mm. Um, you know, if we come and start making those changes, we'll be, you know, and we are seeing those effects in today's day and age. You know, we've unproportionately used stuff, uh, dug out stuff, minerals. Yeah, they're there for us. But when we do it out of proportion, then the repercussions are there. Excellent. Thank you very, very much uh, for that, Imam Mubashar Zafri. Um, and uh, uh, with that, we come to the end of the show today. I must thank our producer, Zakir Rahman, researchers, Faiza Mansoor, Safa Hashim and Amber. <clears throat> Excellent support uh, from the tech room from both Arkib and Tahir. And I guess I should uh, thank you as well um, and also bid farewell to you, Imam Mubashar uh, Zafri. So this is uh, this was your last show today with us and uh, we wish you very best. You, you're moving to um, to Hazelmere in the Institute of uh, Theology and Modern Languages to to teach and live there. So all, all the very best to you, and uh, you know we, we do hope that you will come back to us. Thank you very so. much. Yes, this potentially could be the last breakfast show on a Monday, uh, but you never know. You know things might take a different route, and we we'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh, yes, <laughs> let's 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 you know touch wood that you know I'm back next week. <laughs> uh, right, excellent. It's been, it's been a pleasure. It absolutely has. Likewise, thank you very much um, uh, for joining us. Um, and thank you to all our listeners as well uh, for, for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the, the show today. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to this, please do go into SoundCloud to listen to the recording of the show. Until next week, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.